So analytics is just yet another thing on their plate. Right. And we don't want to be another thing on the plate. We want to be the thing that helps them clear their plate. Hey, everybody. This is Kimi here from Content and Coffee. And today I have Ruben Ugarte on the podcast. And he is the founder. Ruben, did I pronounce that name right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, good. Uh, he's the founder of Practical Analytics, and they help software companies use data to grow their apps and marketing campaigns. And so we uh, we have a, a little bit of agenda that we're going to dive into, but you know the conversation will maybe take a few tangents that uh, we'll explore around analytics and how companies are doing their marketing effectively, and where Ruben thinks they can they can do some improvement. So you know, Ruben, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you, talk about content, analytics, and strategy, and everything around. That. Fantastic, fantastic. So, um, in your words, you know, I I know the uh, the introduction was was pretty uh, pretty succinct to Practico, but in your words, you know, tell tell me a little bit about what you're working on currently, and then also um, a little bit about your background and how you got here. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so it's Practico, we work primarily with software companies, uh, so they'll have like a web or mobile app, and we'll be helping them set up and analyze analytics data. Uh, so typically, you know, companies will say, hey, we want to understand what marketing campaigns are driving the best signups, or we want to understand what users are doing with our product or how to improve retention. So all those questions at a fundamental level, you need data to be able to answer them. Um, and that's what we help companies set up, right? We find for most of our clients, they don't have a lot of data or they're not using data. So it tend to be uh, anecdote driven, right? Mm-hmm. So they, uh, in the companies, even though they might be sort of big companies, so 100, 200 people, the way things get done is that someone says, hey, I think we should do this. I think we should run this campaign. Or I think we should add this one feature or change this one design. And then everyone says, ah, oh, you know, I think you're right. That, that, seems, that seems right. And they go and do it. But it's not, uh, oh, you know, we ran this experiment. Here's the data. Here's what people are doing. This is clearly what should be a good hypothesis test. Right. And are you, are you more of an implementer or a recommendation kind of consultant that comes in. So what I mean by that is, do you say, here are the, all the things that are working really well for you, here's what we recommend you do, or will companies have you come in and actually execute the experiments for them? Yeah, we're definitely more in the implementation role. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll come in and we'll say, this is what you think we should be doing, track and collect and analyze it, and here we're gonna help you implement it. Um, you know, and our work has evolved a little bit. A couple of years ago, it was primarily tool implementation, just simply setting up I don't know, a common tool might be Google Analytics right. or a mixed panel and so on, but just send that up um, and then kind of training companies on how to use it. But these days we do that and then we go and look at some of the sort of the harder problems, you know, how, to, um, how do you build data into like a weekly routine or if you have to right. kind of uh, stand up meeting, how do people start building data into that, which is, isn't really like a tool problem, it's more like a people problem. Uh, but we're still, you know, very hands-on implementing helping drive decisions, helping companies uh, make the most out of their data. Well, I think that's super important because when you come in and you say, here's all the things that we think you should do, they're not going to get nearly as far as if you say, here's all the things we think you should do, and we're going to do them for you, and we're also going to train you how to be a data-driven company. That's so much more effective, and it makes their dollar go so much farther long-term. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, a, there's a quote that I love from um, Alan Weiss. He uh, focus on, on helping consultants, uh, but he always talks about that you want to be seeing yourself not just as another priority on the plate. You can imagine, you know, we work with directors of marketing, mm-hmm. VP of marketing, and so on. And when it comes to us, they already have tons of priorities. They right. don't, they don't have free time. It's like they're sitting in their office, being like, "Oh, what do they do this afternoon?" Uh, I think that's a really cool way to think about it. Yeah. So the question becomes, you know, how how can we provide them data and insights and analysis and all that to help them clear things on their plate, right? right. Um, and that tends to be much more helpful for our customers. And really, you know, I guess from any business perspective, right, especially if you're B2B, trying to be someone who helps clear priorities, not just yet another thing on someone's plate. Yeah, people don't need more things to do. And you, know, you and I can both attest to this where it's like, we already have enough going on. We don't need, we don't need another thing for someone to say, hey, you need to add this thing to your to-do list. So I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think most marketing is like that today, right? Because oh, it's always like, you should oh, be running Facebook yeah. ads and this and this and that. So there's all these things being thrown on your plate. But not a lot of people who are saying, actually, we're going to help you clear stuff for your plate. We're going to help you actually have more free time. Go home at 5 p.m. to see your kids and family. Or whatever. <laughs> I think that, that sales pitch alone will get you like every customer in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So you mentioned that you were, you were a tool implementer before you were an analytics implementer before that. Can you talk? Like, it's such a unique... Uh, position that you're in right now. How did you end up where you are? Like, what was the genesis of Practico? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so uh, my 
background is as a, as a front-end developer. Mm -hmm. So ever since I was a kid, uh, maybe about 15, I learned how to code. And I started building websites, kind of like, I guess, most, most technical kids do. Right. So I was building websites for money, a lot of WordPress stuff. Um, 10 years ago, you know, building websites was much harder than it is today. This day, you know, Squarespace and WordPress. Yeah, and it's, all, it's all drag and drop. Yeah, but back then it wasn't. You, you actually needed people to code. So right. I, I did that for, for, uh, for a few years. Um, I did my own, my own company, my own startup uh, when I was in my early 20s. And we, were, we wanted to build a video platform for like niche content creators. So imagine like you have a yoga trainer mm -hmm. and they want to sell yoga videos online. Um, and same thing, you know, this is like five years before it's already the whole online course kind of boom. Right, right. Back then, there weren't a lot of platforms. These days, you have like Teachable and Thinkific and uh, basically tons and tons of platforms where you can just upload videos, connect your payment processor, and sell them. Well, I mean, but, even ClickFunnels can act as a stand-in for that, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we, we were doing this, and we, know we had some customers, but we couldn't make the economic model work. Basically, mm -hmm. you know, that, that kind of model is a model where you need lots of customers, and a small percentage of them make you money, but you need kind of marketing to be able to drive a lot of those customers. In. Totally. We, we didn't know how to do that. And did you bootstrap that? We did bootstrap, yeah. yeah. Wow, we, that's I think tough, we had, yeah. Yeah, we had a couple loans, right. but like, some money, but definitely not enough to be able to spend at the level we needed to spend. For sure, um, yeah. So what happened was that, you know, at the I did that for, I want to say about three years, maybe two years full time. Mm -hmm. At the end, when we finally decided to shut down because it just wasn't working, I was broke. <laughs> I remember I was actually, I, I always been skinny my whole life and I was actually overweight at the end of that. Oh, wow. Um, and I was just, I was just, it was a typical, like all I did was work all day. Yeah. Um, I think at night I went to go see my girlfriend, but all I did was work and it was, a, it was a very sort of demoralizing experience because I, we, even though I was working a lot, we weren't really making a lot of progress. Right. Things we needed to make progress. So I was burned out. It's yeah. the only time I've ever been burned out. Um, so after that I left, I went on this big trip. I traveled for about nine months. I did the whole digital nomad thing. And were you, so, uh, I have a, I have two questions. So one, yeah. were you building websites throughout? Uh, so what was the video program called? Uh, the company, Yeah. the company was called, uh, we called it Educons. Okay. So, hard to pronounce name. Yeah. 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 The domain, the domain to secure is probably very <laughs> available. <Yeah. laughs> um, so when, when you were running that company, were you also building websites like on nights and weekends to kind of like fund it? Uh, a little bit, but not too much. Sure. I, I, you know, at the time I was still living at home. Yeah. So I remember um, what I was earning a month was like 500 bucks a month. Right. Right. Just money you take to school, spend on restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? I, had, yeah. I had no rent or anything like that. I had no savings. Right. Um, and then when you were in, uh, when you were traveling overseas, like where did, where did you get the kind of the money to go there? Yeah. So that's, so, so basically once I quit, once we had to shut down that, that startup, then I, then I went back to doing uh, website building got and it. I got, I got a few clients. I saved a bunch of money and I went there and I was doing a little bit of work while I was traveling. Got it. And, okay. That, that, makes was, sense. that was all just website building. Um, I love WordPress stuff. I love uh, membership sites, things like that. Right. Right. And you were uniquely qualified for the, the whole member side, membership side angle. So I think, so was it painful to build other people's membership sites coming <laughs> off of your video membership platform? You know, a little bit, but it also <laughs> reminded me how many, how many people are really trying to do that and how hard it is. Right. I really like, the marketing is the key component, right? And, and a lot of people, there's tons of content, there's tons of people who can create the content. Totally. But very few people can actually promote it at the same time. Right, right. And so, so you're, tr you're traveling overseas and you're building these websites and you said nine months? Nine months, yeah. So the first three months of my trip, I really didn't do much. Right. I might have done a little bit of work here and there, but I was right. really, I, I never really understood what burnout was until I, I saw it. Yeah. I was really just lying on the beach and then going and walking and doing, you know, like touristy stuff. Just sightseeing kind of thing. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. 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 Um, so then, you know, uh, maybe about six months since I started working more. Um, and that's when I did a, a small switch to analytics mm -hmm. um, along that way. So basically I, I was building websites and, you know, I've been doing that. I, I could do that. It wasn't hard. Right. Um, so I was a bit bored and I, you know, by the time it's kind of like six months in, I was starting to think, okay, what I want to do next, right? Like I, I get it. I'm not going to be traveling forever. Totally. I need to figure out what to do for work. Um, and I've always loved marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know enough when I was running the company, but I always liked it. So I knew I wanted to get back into it. It right. wasn't just, I didn't want to just be technical. Um, so basically like this, I remember I found some kind of article online that's said, okay, if you want to be a digital marketer, here are all the areas you should know. Oh, interesting. I was, I was looking for areas that were, slightly technical, yep. but also on the marketing side. And right. analytics was one of them, right? It was primarily, you know, primarily used by marketers or 
product people, but it's also a very technical thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember I was really kind of drawn to it. So I kind of did what I always done. I just, I said, oh, that's cool. I did a little bit of research and then I, I took some freelance projects because that's also how I learned to build websites. I right. just said, okay, I kind of, I think I can build a website, but let me actually go take some kind of freelance project when someone pays me to do it and I'll also learn how to do it. For sure. So I went on Upwork or Oldesk at the time, one of them, one of those, you know, uh, marketplace sites mm -hmm. where totally. people post jobs. And I just started looking like, okay, Google Analytics, Mixpanel, what are like the common tools and what are people asking for? And a lot of people were asking for like, oh, help us implement this or help us do this or help us do that. And I just started applying to those projects, taking them on, helping companies do it. Uh, and that, you know, those first few months was a lot of trial and error to, to figure out what to do it. At, at the time, that was purely like someone was saying, we need someone to fix our Google Analytics data and it's broken. Right. You figure out why. And I had to go and kind of figure out why it was broken. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so do you have an Upwork or um, Odesk or Elance profile already built out from all your websites so they knew you weren't like fresh on the scene? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. a, a lot of all the feedback was from people from building websites. So Got yeah. it. Okay. Oh, that, do you remember who your first customer was on the analytics side of things? I do, yeah. It was a company, uh, which is, it was a startup, and they wanted help with Mixpanel. Right. Uh, and they wanted to answer some very specific question on the platform to create a report. Oh, interesting. I remember, and it was like 200 bucks. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, how much did they pay you? I think it was like a couple hundred bucks. And then I remember the second one uh, was a, another startup in Barcelona, actually. They're actually, they're still going. They're actually, they're, they were, uh, they are. And they're BNB for dogs. Oh, nice. Uh, but see, I think you can, you can um, uh, do, do dog sitting in, in right, the UK right. and in Europe. Right. The same thing. They wanted some help setting up Mixpanel, setting it up, right, and so on. And I think that project was like 500 bucks. Uh, your, your revenues are increasing. A little bit by little bit, yeah. <laughs> That's, <great. laughs> That's awesome. So, the, so like, what was the inflection point where you realized, like, okay, I, I clearly don't need to build websites anymore. Analytics is obviously something that I'm very good at, and that, or not even very good at, but that you're... Um, you're gaining the skills rapidly and that you can start to make the switch over. Like, like, was it one big project or was it just compounding little projects? I think it's compounding little projects, but also getting better at seeing all the possibilities. You mm -hmm. know, when in those initial projects, it was like, oh, help us set up this. I did it and the project was done. And then um, maybe by the fourth, fifth, fifth project started to be like, all right, here's a setup, but you guys also need help kind of interpreting the data. So I'm gonna help you do that. Right. Um, and you guys need help doing this. And here is like another tool. And here is like this messaging tool, like intercom or so on. Mm -hmm. um, so it just started seeing all the different possibilities and starting to work with slightly bigger companies. Now at the time it was still like 10, 20 person companies. Sure. I just started to see, see that, um, and see that I could, you know, I could actually, there, there'll probably be a big business there. And it was interesting. It was kind of, uh, at, you know, so very new, very shiny. Uh, so it was kind of fun to do and, and go tackle new projects. Yeah, well, you're you're always um, you're always looking at new challenges for different companies, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in this days we're still tackling new things, but I also know that I would love to work with non-software companies in the future, right? Right. Um, and their data might be different, but challenges might be similar and so on. So it it, it was just about that. It was that there was always. I figure out a way to always keep finding new challenges, whether it was a bigger company or a slightly different project or a slightly different take on the stuff I was doing. Right. And that's what kept it interesting. And the, the money, of course, was good. It was clearly from the beginning that, you know, as a developer, you can charge X amount. Mm -hmm. But as someone who does analytics, it was a little bit more specialized. Right. Right away, the, you know, the hourly rate that was perceived for this kind of work was higher. People right. saying, well, you know, there's only like, I remember in Upwork at the time when I started, there was only like, three people on the platform that, that did like mixed panel work. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Outright. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's probably much more today. And, and, and I even seen like marketplaces just for data analysts. But right. back then there, there wasn't that many. Um, so there was, you know, you could charge like 50, 80 bucks an hour because, hey, you were, you, there were only yeah, 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 your, your option pool is like, you, you can either go with this guy, this guy, or this guy. And, and that's about it. That's, exactly. That's yeah. So compared to developers where you had like, you had, of course, American developers and Canadian developers, but you also had developers from India and all these other countries. Right. So you had tons of choices and you could pay, you know, between 10 and 100 bucks an hour. Oh, that's so, that's so funny. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I, I want to touch on something that you quickly said that uh, I want to, pay attention to is you would, you would love to work with non-software companies. Talk about that a little bit. I'm, I'm guessing the majority of your customers are software. Like who's your dream non-software customer? A dream non-software. Um, you know, it'd be interesting. A company like Nike would be interesting. Oh, um, cool. Um, yeah. 
um, they're they're of course techie that they have apps and you know they have like Nike Run app and so of course. on. But I also imagine they have a lot of data around their shoes and performance and all these other things they do. Right. Um, so I think that'd be interesting. You know, working on like a shoe launch or working on a very specific product launch, and how they take their data, what whatever that looks like. And everything around it, you know, the marketing data, the product data, sales data, and all mm -hmm. that, and how they combine it to that. I think, I think that that'll be kind of like an interesting project. That's really interesting. And then, so you know, talk about some of your customers right now. Like, are you doing just web apps and uh, and marketing campaigns, or are you helping with e-commerce? Do you have any? Like, have you worked with any non-software companies? I've done a little bit of e-commerce actually. I, I've seen. Um, I think there's been a rise in more tech-focused e-commerce companies. Yep. Um, that is their, you know, they're, they're basically e-commerce at their core, but they're run by tech founders. So they, they approach a very techy way. Totally. Um, so that we don't, we don't project like that. Um, and I also seen like normal e-commerce companies. I remember we had one e-commerce, e-commerce client that was making, I think maybe about a couple million dollars a month in revenue and they had no data. Right? They had oh, no what? Google analytics. Wow. Could, their only data was like, uh, they, they would do uh, paid spending on Facebook yeah. and AdWords. Yeah. So they had that, they had that conversion data. Sure. But they had nothing else besides that, and and it, I think it's common for e-commerce companies to do that because they're not as tech focused. Mm -hmm. A lot of them might not even have development teams, right? They might just build everything on Shopify or something, right? Um, so that's that. But really, the, the bulk of our work is with with software companies. Uh, these days, we work with bigger companies, so our clients are typically you know fifty employees or more, maybe a hundred, hundred fifty employees, and now we're working with um, an entire marketing team. Right. And initially it was like me and the founder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, now it's like, oh, here's this entire marketing team, like a five, 10 person marketing team. And they're running, you know, they might have uh, advertising budgets of 40, 50K a month. Mm -hmm. And they're doing all those different campaigns and they're doing, they're getting all this traffic and so on. And there's much more complexity built in. Right. Yeah. And so is that a reflection of the, the type of customers that you're moving towards? And you're kind of saying, you're saying no to smaller projects. Or is it is it still very much like if there's a if there's a smaller team that you know can can match your rates or, or pay you whatever your rate is you'll take them on. No, it's it's a reflection of, of the work we want to take on and mm -hmm. the work that I think where we can have the most value. Right. One thing that I realized after you know I think we've done about 40, 50 projects over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, there's a minimum threshold that you need for data to be useful. Right. Right. So. We don't work with, with sort of startups that have nothing, right? They're sort of pre-beta, pre-everything. Mm -hmm. um, and they want this whole thing set up. They want all the tools. They want everything set up perfectly. But then even like the most basic reports will really not be that useful to them because they won't have a lot of data. Right. right? They'll be looking at like 20 people and what they're doing. Uh, but 20 people doesn't give you enough sort of statistical significance for a lot of reports. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's, that, yeah. Yeah. So No, sorry. Go ahead. Well, you know, that, that, that's one of the challenges with smaller companies. Right. So, so from my perspective, it's hard for me to sit down with a, a founder of a, you know, like a 10 person company, even the, this is the venture back. So I have a million dollars in the bank sure. and tell them, you know what, you should probably spend $10,000 on setting up this analytics because right. it'll help you. It's kind of, it's kind of like, it's a big it, ask. It, yeah. It's a big ask. And right. I don't think it will really return that the, the, the return they're looking for, they could probably spend that money elsewhere. Sure. Uh, yeah. And when they're ready. When they have more traffic and more users, then that money will, will make much better sense. So so talk to talk to me about the the minimum threshold. Like I'm I'm curious. Like, you know, is a is a thousand users a day a month? Like, you know, where do you come in and you say like, okay, yes, I can work with this. Yeah, yeah. So it's because we we've been working a lot on the qualification criteria right. for the, at the past few months. This day's uh, really a, a good company where we say, Hey, yeah, we can definitely help you here. And you know, there's a, a long-term potential for, for us to work together mm -hmm. would be, um, for now as you know, as a software company, they have a, a mobile product, uh, a web or mobile app of some kind. Yeah. Company size, they're probably at a minimum of 50 employees, mm -hmm. likely, you know, close to maybe to hundred and they have a minimum of, uh, of thousands of users. So what that right. means is that let's say they're the B2C, they're probably, you know, five, 10,000, Five to ten thousand users actively using the product, mm -hmm. which also means they probably have like you know like a few hundred new users on a monthly basis. Totally, right? yeah. Um, and if they're B two B, they're probably maybe in the in the high hundreds of B two B users, depending right. on how the kind of B two B structure. Interesting. Uh, and then the the other thing we look at is the the marketing budget. Right. So, of course. Um, we look for a marketing budget of at least about twenty five thousand dollars a month. Mm, so that okay. that to, that to us what it tells us is that this company is actively spending money on acquiring users 
which means they're going to have traffic, which means they're going to have, you know, users signing up and so on. Right. It kind of all flows from that mm -hmm. um, versus company that if the company doesn't have the budget, they might have the users, but it might not be growing at a significant rate. Um, so that, you know, it, for one of the big things for data is that you need new data, right? Of course. You want to yeah. run experiments, new data and do it all over again. So you need some kind of healthy flow of traffic and users to do that. That's super cool. So, so tell me about a company that you're kind of, you look up to that does a really good job with data. Like, is there anyone who you can point to in the software industry and you're like, man, they just get it. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know what, actually I find uh, there's a, a software provider in our space um, called Amplitude and they're, they're a bit of a competitor to Mixpanel. They're, they're, they're a software tool, but I find the content they have put out has been very good. Right. Um, and they have a lot of enterprise clients, I think like Airbnb and Uber and so on. And, and they're, a, they're like an analytics tool that you implement? Yeah, 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 yeah cool. they are. Yeah. And I find what they have done around sort of retention, they, they put out like playbooks on retention and engagement. Oh, nice. They, they done a, they've taken a lot from what they see their customers do, like PayPal and Under Armour and Capital One and so on. Yeah. And they put it together as content. So I find through the content, you can see what the clients are doing, you know, because mm -hmm. a company like PayPal might not be putting out a lot of information of what they do analytics wise. Of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, but you can see a little bit through, through some of the content of, of what, what Amplitude puts together. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's super cool. I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm seeing this big trend in companies moving towards books or long, long form comp, uh, content. Um, do you have any data around that? Like, cause I know Intercom just published their growth handbook. You know, you mentioned Amplitude has, the, has these really nice, like growth and retention handbooks. Uh, yeah. I know Clearbit did a few books as well. Yeah. 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 I think that, you know, it, it seems like, um, and we, we do content ourselves too. So of we, course. we've done a lot yeah. of content. Um, Definitely this idea of, of this sort of ultimate guide slash book slash something, it's, it's, uh, it tends to be a really good solid content piece you can build around. Mm -hmm. uh, so you see those playbooks, uh, even ourselves, we had a, we created this video course, uh, this training video course that we used to sell and that we get for free. And it's one of our, the sort of the most popular options we get. Um, so I think when you look at the, the impact of that piece of content, just uh, against things like opt-ins, um, leads eventually customers, it can be pretty big, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it sort of makes sense when you look at, you know, there's a lot of content out there, right? A lot of blogs, yep. uh, all kinds of content, especially if you include like tweets and all this sort of stuff, totally. videos. So to put together a, a bigger piece, basically a small book, right? 40, mm -hmm. 50 pages. Yeah. It's, it's a little harder. There's a little bit more perceived value to it. Um, and that's something that companies can be like, oh, that's awesome. I get this entire free thing, uh, free book for free, right? Totally. Uh, so I, I see a lot of companies do, doing that. Um, and and I, I think that's that tends to be a really integral part of content marketing uh, these days to stand out. Yeah, so this, this is actually a perfect segue because I know you guys have had your, your content featured in a, in a lot of really um, highly valued perceived publications, let's say. I don't yeah. like, Authoritative sites is the word I'm looking for. Um, in, in terms of actually growing practical analytics, how are, like, obviously content is a major strategy. Um, you know, talk about your content strategy and also talk about some other things that you're doing to grow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so for us, we, we, we publish a lot of content uh, in blog posts, videos. We have a couple opt-ins, of course, like lead magnets. Mm -hmm. And it's proven over and over again how impactful it can be. You know, for us, we get a lot of companies reaching out to us to, to work with us. Right. And at that stage, you know, there's trust. They know us. They, they, may, they may have read our content, so they know a little bit about our philosophy. Um, and you know, the sales process itself is really much easier once you have that trust component already built in. And are right? you writing all the blog posts and the content yourself? I done the majority of them. This days I have someone on my team who's also working with me and he's, right. he's, he's, he's writing some content. Nice. But, uh, especially some of the external content you're talking about, you know, we, we got a chance to, to guest blog for, uh, kiss metrics, um, uh, conversion, Excel, crazy egg, uh, a couple of the marketing blogs another blog, another blog called growth lab. And those are really, you know, the guest posting is citrus because a lot of people think it's 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 dead, mm -hmm. right? Um, or maybe it was over overused at some point, right? But guest posts can be really powerful, not from an SEO perspective, but really from a, a again customer's perspective. Right? Oh, you like customer. it like a, an authoritative lens, like they look at you and they trust you a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we find, uh, you know, this is a, a, this is qualitatively, right? Mm -hmm, we'll mm -hmm. hear this when I when when I get on sales calls, people will be like, hey, that's awesome. I saw your guest post on the conversion Excel blog. Oh, I really cool. liked it. So I came over to learn more about you guys. Right. Nice. Um, 
So that's something that for us, the strategy isn't really complex. It's just a matter of pitching X amount of you know blogs every week, yeah. uh, every month, trying to get on more podcasts, trying to do um, right now going forward. One of the things I also want to do more is actually speaking opportunities. Right? Oh, like uh, like um, keynotes and public speaking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As a, a conference, meetups, and things like that. Mm -hmm. As a, just another variation of content, right? It's for just sure. A, yeah. An in-person content, uh, a conference, and so on. And, and for us, it's it's all about the, the trust building. Totally. Right? How do we get yeah. in front of a you know? Imagine you're in the room of a hundred directors of marketing, mm -hmm. which is you know a target audience. Of course. What's the best way to build trust with them? Right. And right. A conference can, can can give you that access. Um. Do you know? Do you know the company? Know your company. I don't. I don't. Know. So they're a, they're a spin out out of Basecamp, or they they had an internal tool in Basecamp and then they spun it out. But the oh, I'm blanking on the name of the the woman who runs it. But one of one of their early things was they were looking to grow their authority, and as a new company, she solely focused on public speaking, and so she just got as many public speaking engagements as she could, and that proved to be a pivotal uh, pivotal strategy for them because. Uh, like the the know your company model is basically like we're going to help you run your company uh, more effectively you have to pay three grand up front but it's going to be worth it long term and a lot of people to get over that hurdle they were like oh well she obviously knows her stuff she's done all these speaking engagements so it's interesting to hear you bring that up as well and i, I think that's an excellent strategy to pursue yeah yeah and of course it's important to understand the context right you know of, oh, we're in a high touch yeah. service service business yeah um, trust is the primary factor right totally. uh, and we we've done some experiments on facebook ads and so on it's it doesn't translate as well. It doesn't translate directly into that, right? To someone clicks on a Facebook ad to then go and book a consultation. Mm -hmm. It's a little trickier, mm -hmm. uh, but the content and, and especially high sort of high profile events like a conference, you know, imagine like the biggest tech conference. Oh, of course. Uh, maybe something like Sastar in, in yeah. the tech world or, or like, like what's the, the big conversion one? There's, uh, a there's the uh, CTA come from Unbounce. Actually here in Yeah, that's, that's the one I was thinking about. That ju It just happened, didn't it? I think it's happened in a couple of weeks, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, or it's coming yeah. up, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So th those kind of things, yeah, help you build the authority and really, again, put you in a room full of buyers, mm -hmm. right? And the other day is, how do you get in a room full of buyers? What's the best way to do that? Um, so content can, can 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 be a huge way of doing that. And we've seen that, yeah. Yeah, no. So I'm I'm curious to dive like into the the tactics because there's there's often like strategy and then tactics. So I would classify you know your content marketing as your strategy to grow, uh, you know the trust and the brand. Um, how often are you guys publishing per month? And are you doing are you doing keyword research and then actually like boosting that content on Facebook ads? Or what's your what's your strategy around that? Yeah, yeah. So I'll say it's it's been pretty basic. So we 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 do we do do uh, a little bit of keyword research mm -hmm. uh, before for our posts, as especially if we you know we have a list of topics and we want to match them to a little bit of keyword research. Then we go write them. Um, right now we aim for one blog post a week. Okay. And, and is that and is that arbitrary or is that just? No, it's just it's just really it's something we chosen. So yeah, okay. I, I guess <laughs> I guess it's really what when we chose the the frequency, it was more thinking of what can we maintain right. over six, twelve, eighteen months. Yeah. Versus what what can we really do in like three months? Right. Um, like a scope of a scope of bandwidth, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, and that that post will be you know a thousand, two thousand, sorry, a thousand, two thousand words. Yeah. Uh, in length. Right. Then something we've been doing recently, which which I love, which I've been seeing other people do, is actually uh, weekly emails. Mm -hmm. You know, like Tim Ferriss has a weekly email. I'm subscribed to your email list. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that. You know, because it gives you a touch point. Let's say one week we were to miss a blog post, at least we get that weekly email. Yeah. But also for me, it gives me a chance to kind of experiment with ideas. Right. right? Maybe an idea that's not really fully fleshed out for a blog post, but it can be it can go into that inside email, right? And it's like two or three paragraphs. Um, and I'm also starting to see just simply people getting that email. Then I have a little thing at the bottom of like, oh, stuff you might have missed. We we did this blog post, or we did this, or check out this other thing. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's the same thing, right? You know, some of the things we've we seen with content for sales leads is someone will come up and be like, hey, I've been on your email list for six months. Mm -hmm. I love your content. And now we're ready to work with you. Cool. Right? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people like that on email list and people who subscribe to email list. So it's a matter of just simply staying top of mind. Right? And so, so growing your email list then, like tactically, how have you done that? Like obviously the video to leads and the, the actual lead magnets have probably been pretty key for you. Um, is it just producing quality content over time and saying, hey, by the way, you're going to get some really key insights if you subscribe to our email list? Or has there been other strategies that you've employed? It, it's been definitely the quality content, but I will say, you know, spending significant time. And if I was to split mm. my time and content, yeah, internal content is, is big. 
but spending at least half of my time on the external stuff. Got it. Right. So those guest posts or doing guest videos on YouTube channels. I, I done one for Metro School, which is this popular uh, YouTube channel on Google Analytics and so on. Um, so things like that. And that tends to drive actual people who know who read that guest post and come back. Mm -hmm. And of course, it also tends to drive SEO, totally. uh, which helps you uh, do it uh, from an organic perspective. And then on the promotion side of things, because I, so I actually just, um, I took the AREF's SEO course, the blogging for businesses. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not, no, it's, yeah, but I, I know of uh, the, the tool. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so good. I love, I love that. It's probably my favorite SEO tool. I'm not affiliated them with anyway, but AREFs, if you're listening, I would love a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but so, you know, like I'm, I'm curious because their big thing is it, a lot of the, the actual content, uh, the inbound comes through on the promotion side of things. So are you doing anything to actively promote your content or is it just you've done enough content now that you're getting naturally picked up and shared around? No, we do. We definitely do. You know, we, we share, of course, on social channels. I, I will say that's sort of table stakes. Of course. Um, yeah. uh, there's a couple of communities that we share too. In our case, things like growthhackers.com, right. um, Hacker News might sometimes be a good fit. Um, Reddit, maybe. Yep. It, it depends. Um, so things like that. In the past, we've done also a little bit of backlink work. So simply reaching out and asking for backlinks. Mm -hmm. How has that worked for you, by the way? You know, it's worked okay. Yeah, I, I found it hard to do. It might be, it might simply be a, a, a sort of time issue in terms mm -hmm. of doing it. Yeah. But funny enough, there was one backlink we got that today it drives actual opt-ins. Like there's probably no way. Maybe like wow. Five, like maybe five percent of all opt-ins in a month will actually come from that one backlink. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but I don't know how well that scales or how well that. No, that of functions. course. Yeah. So I find that, that the guest post is a way to get those backlinks while also providing some kind of value, and, and that might be a little bit easier to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious because, like, it seems like things are going really well right now. You know, you're getting opt-ins, you're getting leads, um, your, your content marketing strategy is in place. You've, you're obviously very skilled in, in kind of how you come into a company and you implement. Uh, what is the future of Practico? Where are you guys headed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I think for us, what what I would like to build is um, I'm not as interested in building a big agency, you know, like 100 people. Mm -hmm. um, I really love the idea of having a small team and being known as sort of one of the best in the world at what we do. Right. And when people come to us, you know, say, hey, we, we, we know you, we know you guys, and we want to work with you. Um, so for us, it, it's interesting, you know, because one of the things we want to start doing in our content is not just putting content out, typical content, like, hey, 10 things you do in your analytics or something. Yeah. But we're right now for the diversity here, for example, we're going to start putting out uh, frameworks. So things we have come up internally. Right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, it's starting to name steps, starting to create processes, starting to create all these things. Uh, so basically all the stuff we use internally start to share it mm -hmm. um, to keep establishing that it's not just, it's not just we know what we're doing. We're, we're sharing actual frameworks that other companies can use and set up. Uh, so that's on, on one hand. Um, in the more practical terms, of course, we're also thinking about how we optimize how we do business, right? And right. There's, uh, there's an interesting, interesting thing I was, I was learning this week about called the, the customer value optimization. And this is just a way of how you, how you sort of structure a business, a, sort of a digital-driven business, yeah. and how you can grow it. Um, so there's a, this is a short chart that simply says, okay, here, here's your traffic source. You know, your step one would be like a lead magnet. Then you might have like a tripwire mm -hmm. uh, after that. Then you have to kind of core offering, and then, some kind of, then maybe something else that maximizes profit, and then you find ways to kind of build people in. Uh, so that's something that we're also still building. Now we have a, something that works, mm -hmm. but as as we learn to scale, uh, scale our business and revenue, and 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 sometimes team members, it's how do we build better systems for what we do? Much more consistent systems, right? Yeah, I think I think a fit like you know um, the way. It's interesting that you bring that up because the way Ghost is progressing is the tool that we're actually building and we're going to be releasing, you know, in the next couple of weeks is all about making online businesses more efficient. And to hear you speak about how do we build more efficient processes into our business is something that, you know, that tool is ideally going to be able to do for all these different businesses. So on the one hand, it's it's reaffirming to know like we're heading in the right direction, but two, it's it's nice to see that like um all these other companies, they're looking, they're actively looking for these different systems and processes that they can implement. Because oftentimes what will probably happen, and I'm sure you'll, you'll find this, is when you release your framework, they'll implement maybe half or like, um, you know, uh, three-fourths of it and then say like, okay, we're, we're really stuck on this step. We're going to bring in Practico to kind of fill out the rest of it for us. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it is surprising. I'm still always surprised when I hear about 
billion dollar companies or, you know, companies that make a hundred million dollars actually don't have a process of some kind. Maybe they have, might have like a hundred salespeople, but they don't actually have a sales process. Everyone right. sort of does their own thing. Um, so that's, you still see that. And, and so I think that that's always interesting that there's a lot of randomness totally the way the way some companies are run and the way that things work and they things grow and they keep growing year to year there's a natural maybe momentum that's always kept but um build a better process processes systematic things is is, is, is is always something that's needed even for big companies totally well it's it's so important right like it's it's yeah. so crucial to kind of um honing in the business efficiency uh are there any products that you guys may release on the horizon or are you just going to stick purely to consulting you know what? Maybe um, it's the idea of a product that's always interesting. I think yeah. for us, what we'll definitely be releasing, and we released actually this past month um, a little short bundle that um, that includes templates and videos that we created. I think we're selling it for about twenty dollars. Oh, nice! Um, it's, it's definitely more of a marketing tool for us for leads. Right. But uh, I definitely like the idea of of you know probably releasing educational materials, not just for free, but actually selling them. Um, and once again, to, to further establish what we do and, and provide value to customers who may not be able to afford working with us, but you know, um, maybe a video course or training material for a couple hundred bucks is actually what they need. Uh, so that'll be something that, that we'll likely be doing over the next six, 12 months. Right, right. Well, you always see these, you always see these companies like, you know, AREFs does it with their course. I think it's like $700. And then um, Groove HQ, they, uh, they need to come out and make some money. And so they released a, like a content marketing course. And that's that's proved like very very valuable for them. By the way, um, any any links to those those links that you want to share the the bundle that you've come up with, we'll put it in the show notes so the audience can find them later on. Okay, cool. Interesting. Actually, I didn't know the group the group did a customer a, a content a course. Yeah, I'll send you I'll send you the uh, yeah. They're such an interesting company. I'll send you it uh, a little bit later on this in the Slack group that we're in. Um, yeah. It's it's super super interesting. So let me ask you this: like, say say I'm a tech company and I'm looking to kind of build my analytics out. Um, if, and you come in, where is the low-hanging fruit that you really see that you can that you say like, okay, you guys really need help with X, Y, and Z, but not kind of like, here's the full scope of the project? Yeah, yeah. Definitely the low-hanging fruit is trying to figure out what data you do have already, mm -hmm. right? It, all companies have data of some kind, uh, whether it's Google Analytics or something else, you have some kind of data already. It's just a matter that companies are not really using it. Um, so I find the low-hanging fruit is figuring out what the data is, and how you can tie it to the kind of current challenge. Right? Right. So imagine you're, you're a company and you're saying, hey, our current challenge is acquisition. We need to acquire more users. So what data you have around that? What campaigns are you running? What things can you optimize? How, how can you sort of start slicing things through? Um, we'll, we'll focus on a, very, on a very specific problem or question, right? One question like, how do we get more signups from our current campaigns? It's sort of a very specific question that you can mm -hmm. go and answer. Um, that's what we tend to focus on when we have consultation calls and we have audits and things like that. That's what we tend to look at. Right. That you have data, but you're not using it. And okay. So why are you not using it? Oh, maybe you don't trust it. Okay. So if you don't trust it, how can you make it better? And once you make it better, what does it look like? What kind of report do you need? Is it, what kind of format? Even you go sort of details like that, right? Do you like a dashboard or you want some kind of PDF or you want something? Um, before you add more data, which is what we tend to do, we tend to come in and add more data mm -hmm. is how can you really squeeze the most out of your existing data? and put it into a format that makes sense for you, mm -hmm. that, that you'll use it and that you'll actually start to apply it. Right. And then so, so to expand on that, like you'll, you'll come in and you'll say, okay, let's, let's find all the data that we already need. Is there ever a, is there ever a scenario where you're going to come in and be like, Google Analytics just doesn't give you what you need? You guys should be looking at implementing something like Mixpanel? Or is that later down the, later down the road where it's like we really have specific questions and that's why we're looking at mix, mix funnel or, or – um, Mixpanel or uh, Amplitude? I think, I think that would be more of the second case. There will have to be a very clear need for it. Mm -hmm. And I find that the best case is usually when a company says, we you know, we know how you use Google Analytics and we have taken it as far as we think we can, mm -hmm. which is usually not far enough. But nonetheless, <laughs> they say, we've been using it for six months and we really sort of, we try to make it as best as possible. We now think we need this. That has to be a good place to be because you know that they're actually using the data and they know their limitations. Right. So they know, hey, we know we're missing this and we can't answer this or we can't answer that. But if we had this tool, we could do it versus companies that simply say, we don't have anything or we're not doing anything, but we think we need this. Right. Uh, those companies tend to maybe need a little bit more help figuring out what they actually need. And so I'm curious from your own personal kind of case studies and companies you've worked with, has there been a really interesting 
data unearthing that you were like, wow, that's amazing. We're going to fix this and that's going to translate into, you know, more signups or X, Y, and Z. Like, is there a clear example of something where you've come in and you say, we need to tweak these things to see a measurable result that is like, interesting for both myself and the audience? Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was, there was a case study, um, and I'll, I'll, I won't say any company names, but they were doing a lot of work on content uh, on their blog, uh, which is timely, right? They, they spent <laughs> a lot of resources on, on content, like writing four or five articles a month, oh, wow. um, yeah. promoting them and so on. And it wasn't actually driving demos. Uh, they, were, you know, they were a SaaS company and they, they wanted to drive demos from, from that, uh, but the content just wasn't doing it. Um, and their initial data was so low that it seemed almost off to say like, wow, it's actually driving very little demos. Um, so we double checked everything that was tracking properly. And as it turns out, it was right. It actually, the content wasn't driving demos, mm -hmm. not directly anyway, right? right? Um, which is what made them say, okay, what content is performing the best? Let's say, you know, in terms of uh, page views, time on site, like what, what content what content are people actually reading? Uh, and then from there, they started to figure out, okay, what's, if, if, the, if it's not gonna drive demos right away, which makes sense, mm -hmm. right? People maybe a little earlier in the buyer cycle, what kind of in-between step do we need? Like a, like a lead magnet of some kind. Right. So let's implement that. So I started doing that. So that obviously started bumping up their, the content leads as they call them, right? Mm -hmm. People would just convert from content. Right. And then from there, they could actually now take them to kind of sequence or a series of steps and get them to demos, right? right? But this is a company that for, you know, maybe six to 12 months before we worked together, they were doing all this work on content, like a couple of full-time people just working on content. Oh, wow with the goal of trying to drive demos, right. and it just wasn't doing that. That's right? crazy. Um, it was also the same company that I know they were doing a lot, they were paying, um, they were doing a lot of paid traffic and they started to realize that LinkedIn was actually doing really well. Interesting, okay. Um, so they started spending more time on LinkedIn and say, and say okay, hey, let's release a, a weekly video on LinkedIn where we introduce our team and we talk about our company. So started doing that. And then by the way, they started seeing more traffic from LinkedIn and mm -hmm. they started doing the more conversion and things like that. Right. So a lot of times it's, it's little things like that where there's something that is working, mm -hmm. but they're not putting enough time on it. Or they're, putting, right. in, they're putting way too much time on the stuff that is not working and really kind of bumping the head against the wall. Right. And then, you know, in, in terms of analytics, like, is there anything that you see consistently over and over where you're like, I, I just, I wish people did this before I came in and then I, it would make my life so much easier and then we could get so many more results. <laughs> you know what? On, on the marketing side, are you familiar with UTM parameters? Uh, I am, but explain it to the audience. Okay. So UTM parameters are little, little pieces of text you can add to a URL. So the, the, the common example is you're going to, you know, if you post, uh, if you kind of set up a Facebook ad um, and you want to know when people click on it that they came from Facebook, you will take your, sorry, your landing page URL and then a, uh, a pen kind of parameters that specify that this came from Facebook, that this is the campaign name and things like that. And there's builders out there. You can Google, like, uh, I think Google URL builder is one of the most popular ones. Right. So it's really easy to do, but most companies don't do it. So a lot of times when they're looking at traffic, they don't know where the traffic is coming from because the traffic is just bundled under a non-category. Oh, right? interesting. So yeah. They'll be like, oh, we, we're getting like 50% of the traffic is like direct. Right. And it, <laughs> it, it converts like all, all the conversions, but we don't know where it's coming from. It's like, of course, you're not tagging it properly. <laughs> So that also, that has to be a pain and, and the bigger your team is, the harder it is because I need multiple people to do it. Right. And it's a, it's a tedious thing that people have to do, but you know, you, it's just, you have to do it. Yeah. There's no way around it. If you, if you want to really, you know, for the listeners in the audience, if you want a really good example of like what a UTM looks like, a UTM tag looks like live, click on any MailChimp URL and then look at the URL in your browser and it'll say like um, either MailChimp, UTM, and then like a series of letters and numbers or uh, email, um, like email UTM and then a series of letters and numbers. And then you can see that's an example of like something that went from uh, the MailChimp opt-in because MailChimp puts them in automatically, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most emails, most emails, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. So that's, that's a good example of it live. Um, and then, so, uh, you know, are there any other things that you look for that, um, you know, if a data, data analytics specialist is gonna come in, aside from UTM tracking, uh, anything else that you'd, you'd say like, please get this right and then I can help you? Uh, let me think. Cause I know the cases vary so differently, right? Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing, especially in bigger companies, it will actually be getting support from the development team. So a little bit of background on this. So most, any kind of anything you want to do analytics wise, you technically need 
uh, development support, right? Mm -hmm. So again, he's kind of engineer to help you implement things or track things or collect data. Totally. That's almost guaranteed. And in most companies, this is really hard to get. So companies will say, hey, we need to implement this data, right. but there's no development time. So now we have to wait three months to do it. Right. Um, in the best companies, and what we tend to do with clients and we tend to recommend is to say, hey, take um, someone in the development team and then give them the part of their role would be to support uh, the marketing team and support them in analytics wise. Right. So if you have this, by the time you have any changes, you, you can just go to this person, let's call them John, and John can go, you know, ensure that this gets implemented. Right. Otherwise, anything is just a wish list. People, you know, and this, you know, we, we struggle with this all the time. Companies and our clients will say, hey, we really want to do all this stuff, but we can't because we have no development time. Mm -hmm. and totally. I guess we're just going to have to wait. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would see that especially in like software apps. You know, like like where it's specific, like because on the website you can't just go in and like drop different uh, different tags into different pages in the website. You yeah. actually you would actually need the technical talent to kind of come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, and then you know, one, one third idea that's that's yeah. really more relevant to every company is sure. Actually, understanding what you want, right? Oh, uh, that's is, so uh, that's so important. Yeah, that's a really it, good point. Th this is common. It sounds so simple, but it's 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 really. Um, easy to jump from one thing to another. And mm -hmm. then let's say in a software company, you might think like one month or one quarter, you're all about acquisition. And the next one, you're all about retention. And then after that, you're all about like onboarding or activation. Uh, but, you know, seeing in like non-software companies, right? They're all about sales one day and then about marketing the other day and so on. So it's, it's this constant switching about what's important and what's a priority. Um, so if you're able as a company to be like, you know what, for the next six months, the number one thing we're going to do is retention. And we're going to figure out how to get retention to this one level, this benchmark. Right that will automatically make everything easier because now, now you can say, okay, yeah, to do that, you need this data, you need this tool, you need this, you need this, versus for us, a lot of our work initially is actually just simply getting companies to say, okay, what do you want to focus on? Right. right? Like, what's what's a priority? What can we ignore? What can we put off for now? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you, you, mentioned, you mentioned retention, and this is something that I've been thinking about personally a lot, where it's like, you don't, if you have a leaky bucket, uh, no matter how much you know, water comes in the top of the bucket or traffic comes in the top of the bucket, if you've got a bunch of holes in the bucket, you're not going to make any money. Can you talk about retention? Like, I know it's going to vary case to case, but are there a few things that you can really point to to say, like, get these things right in terms of the retention cycle of your business, and you will be much better long term? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and retention is really not just software companies, right? Like, every, oh, yeah, very true. Yeah. Even for us as a service company, we have retention. We have mm -hmm. a certain level of retention for clients, and you know, they keep working with us you know, for project after project. But um, I find that, you know, retention is, is hard to improve, so it tends to be ignored, right? right? Um, so really, when you look at retention, let's say at the very fundamental level, uh, the very first thing you want to understand is what is the benchmark for your product or industry, right? right? What is good? What is and that, good those numbers are public. Like, you can just go look those up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's, that's research. That's simply saying if you're a web app, and you know you have X amount like your B2B web app, what's a good retention? Or mm -hmm. if you're B2C or if you're a service, or it doesn't matter where you are, your e-commerce, what's a good retention uh, and the way you define it. Right. And then from there you can figure out are you really below that? A lot of companies tend to be really below that, or are you okay? <laughs> right. Right. Um, once you figure out the benchmark and where you are in terms of that, uh, then the the next step that we you know we always talk to companies about is we want to understand who the best users are, mm -hmm. right? So who, who's actually loving this product? Who's getting the most value out of it? Right. And now, now we're talking about like, you know, users personas, demographics, things like that. But just understanding the, who is the, the person who's getting the most value out of the product or service versus maybe our ideal customer, right? There might be a gap there between right. who we think should be using it versus who's actually using it. Um, and then, you know, then we talk about improving it, but the improving it is, is, is not as clear cut as acquisition. I'll find that acquisition tends to be, uh, you, you spend more money and you get some results and you can kind of see things right away. Totally. The retention stuff is really like qualitative, really like touchy feely. Like now you have to go talk to people, mm -hmm. why they like it, why they don't like it, then figure out what's, what's the gap. Um, and it's just an idea that I see in retention bring up all the time. And it's something that we used to think a lot. Now we think much less is people will say, Hey, you know, take your best users and take your worst users and compare them. Right. And right, what's the difference, right? Right. And it kind of makes sense. But then you start to think that maybe for your worst users, they're all going to be, you know, they're all going to be unhappy for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And this, it reminds me of a quote from, um, 
the name escapes me, but basically, you know, they were saying that, you know, all, all happy families are happy for the same reason, but all right. unhappy families are unhappy for different reasons. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So if, you, so if you're trying to diagnose when someone's unhappy, there could be so many potential reasons. Right. It, but if you look at just the happiness, you'll find a little bit more, more patterns, right? Right. Um, so something we've seen more and more companies do now is take their best users by some kind of criteria. It doesn't matter whether it's how much money they spent or how much time they spend on your product, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And look, then maybe look at the second best users, right? And how would you uh, classify a second best user? Like, do you benchmark your best users by say like a dollar spent? And then you would, you would say like, okay, if, if our best users spend a thousand dollars over their lifetime, our second best users will spend $700. Like, is that how you would break those out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You, okay. you, create, you create some kind of distinction. Right. Uh, but again, you're not looking at, you know, uh, best users to spend a thousand dollars versus mm-hmm someone who spends $10, that's a pretty big gap. Right, right. It's, it's, it's the, maybe the smaller gap, right? The 1,000 versus 700. Got it. And now you want to say, okay, for those who spend 700, why didn't they spend 1,000, mm-hmm. right? What did they buy or what did they do that made them only spend 700? And now you can start to figure out what, what's maybe the, how you can take your second best group of users and make them more like your best users, right? I really like that approach because, I mean, it, it, I picture it like a stair or like a stair step where you take the 700 to 1,000 and then you could you could even go back down a, lo- a lower step to say like 400 and then you can figure out what well, like why the people who are spending $400 aren't spending $700 and why the $700 aren't – like you can, you can map out those steps and then really uh, improve the retention from there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it can be hard if you're trying to look at everyone all at once. Of course. Right? Imagine you have like a store, like a, a premium store like Gucci, mm-hmm. and you're looking at your best user spend $2,000 in one visit, and your second best spend 1500 Right. But the, the worst, worst group of users only spend like 50 bucks because maybe they only come <laughs> in and buy one tie. Right. Trying to get someone, you know, who's spending 50 bucks, they're going to spend 2000 can be a big jump. Maybe True. the whole their whole demographics and persona is just completely off. Mm-hmm. Might be some college kid who really likes ties or something, right? Right, right. But the ones who are spending fifteen hundred are pretty close. They're probably just simply saying, actually, you know, they they didn't get they weren't upsell uh, something or they were missing this or they were missing that. Totally. And now we can close that gap and get them closer to that two thousand dollar group. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so then you know, I, I always like touching on, you know, common mistakes. Um, what are some what are some mistakes that you see repeated a lot in, you know, early stage startups that because I'm sure, like when you first started out, you were you were looking at a lot of early stage startups. Yeah. Um, what were some mistakes that you saw during early stage companies that uh, will not allow them to get to mid stage? From just a, so just a data perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, definitely on the data perspective, it's, it's really focusing too much on the quantitative stuff too early on, mm-hmm. right? When you only have a hundred beta users. Um, Again, trying to see some kind of funnel report or trying to understand what they're using from a quantitative perspective, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. Uh, the numbers are still small enough that you can actually actually look at them all individually and understand them and talk to them and so on. So in the early stage, really qualitative is the name of the game, right? It's talking mm-hmm. to them. It's trying to figure out everything that your data points cannot give you because you don't have enough data points. Right. Okay. Um, and then um, my and then my follow-on question is: What are some mistakes that you have made while building practical analytics, and how did you course correct? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, definitely. Uh, this could be a long conversation. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll keep it to like one or two. <laughs> okay, so I, th- I think the major things, and I, I think the first one is just a natural growing pain, which is focus on the wrong audience, right? right. We did a lot of work at early stage mm-hmm. initially, and you know, from a data perspective, there's just not a lot of data, which means automatically it's hard to have multiple projects. Where right. you, you know, there's nothing to analyze. So that makes it really hard to then build different projects and build retention and all those things. Um, so it's, you know, it's not until sort of early this year that we started focusing on much bigger companies um, and tackling bigger problems. And all of a sudden now, a lot of things that we found really hard are much easier. All of a oh, sudden nice. Like, yeah. Oh, of course, we can go close this other project and do this and do that. They have all these problems. There's so many things you could be doing right. because there's all this data and all these opportunities that just weren't there in the, in the smaller stage. Oh, interesting. Very cool. And, the second one is actually more from a cash flow perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a as a service business, cash flow is, is is king. Of course. And I think like a lot of founders or people who run companies, spending can be easy, mm-hmm. especially if you start justifying. Oh, of course, we're using this to grow and so on. Totally. But I know for us, we we spend too much money on 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 trying to grow the company, um, beyond what should be reasonable. Right. Uh, and for actually, we actually. What really helped us get our cash flow under control is actually a book called Profit First oh, cool. uh, by Mike Michaelowitz. Uh, his his approach, uh, and this is you know this is different from an accounting approach, right? If you're looking at profit and loss and so on, this is really more of a day to day approach. Mm-hmm. He's simply saying, 
take a break out your business into categories, right? So let's say, um, let's start with some, the most basic categories. You're going to have owner's compensation, right? So let's say for me, I'm the owner. Yep. You're going to have operating expenses, taxes and profit. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to assign percentages to each one. So let's say, um, owner's compensation will be 50%. Right. Operating expense will be 30, tax will be 15, and then the profit will be five. And the mm -hmm. answer is, you know, that's up to 100. Right? right. So basically it means that in any given month, when you look at your budget, your number should be within that. So where you, where you pay yourself as the owner should be, you know, 50% or less of the revenue for that month. Mm -hmm. Your operating expense should be 30% or less. Your taxes will be 50% flat. Right. And then your profit will be 5%. Right. Oh, interesting. And then what you find for most businesses, and when you, you know, we read the case studies that he has is that it's common for a business even to, you know, even if you, if you make in a million dollars, $5 million, you have 20, 30, 50 people, mm -hmm. you'll hear stories about, you know, companies who where the founders can't even pay themselves too much. Oh, I've right? heard that so many times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but they have 20 people on staff, right? right? So if you, if you were to break it out into percentages, you see that their operating expenses are closer to like 80% mm -hmm. or 90%, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it's way too high. They, you know, they're, they're basically spending too much. Right. Um, for what they do, for what they generate, for what they output in, in, in revenue and, and to our products and services too much. So what, what we what we found the system really helpful for is for constraints. Right. right? This is kind of like uh, maybe Parkinson's law if you, if you heard it, right? That things will, you know, things will uh, grow to take up whatever space you give it. Oh, I have heard that. Yeah, I didn't know that's what it was called, but I've, I've heard that law, yeah. Yeah, so, so I find expenses can be like that. If you, if you, if you say, hey, I'm gonna, my my budget is 10k a month. You're gonna yeah. spend 10k a month. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter if you're really spending on the right things. You're gonna spend that money. Right. So the percentages really help keep the business in check, and that's really helped oh, us to say, hey, you know, we if we want to grow to X amount in revenue or X amount whatever in size, we can only spend up to you know 30 percent, let's say, and then that's translates to this much money. And now with that money, we have to figure out, okay, how do we spend this money to get there? Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of forces you to be creative with how you spend money instead of simply saying, well, I have all, you know, I have all this money, uh, way more money than I should, I'll spend it. Right. Um, so that, that's just something really helpful. And I seem to be really helpful for, for a lot of companies it's just because again, most founders, they, they'll sacrifice a salary mm -hmm. in, ex, in, in hopes that they grow the company, but I, then they, I know the know, feeling <laughs> exactly, but you know, it's, it's hard to basically the question would be, you know, if you don't have good budgeting principles when you're only making 50k a year 100k a year why would you have them when you make a million a year very or true two million a year, right yeah so those are things you kind of had to set up early and we had to learn that lesson kind of the, the hard way uh but that has been really helpful right um and then so you you touched upon a, a book recommendation um i'm curious you know um do you have any kind of a parting wisdom that you want to share with either myself or the audience and then do you have any uh, final book recommendations because I always ask for book recommendations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think for for people who are doing consultant, uh, I will check out some of the books by Alan Wise. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his most popular book is called Million Dollar Consultant. Um, I find that to be that's a really helpful book on consultant and and setting up consultant practices. Um, then uh, let's see. I actually got, I actually got my bookcase right here. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> give me give me two or three. Um, for young people. Especially, I would say, young, ambitious people. Right. Um, there's a book called Boys Among Men, uh, which I really like. And it's, uh, it's actually a sports history book on the NBA and kind of players like LeBron James. And oh, someone. interesting. And it looks like the book looks at why young players who were really good in high school, they tend to struggle in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Right. And it kind of looks at the psychology of how maybe you have a young kid who like from very early, like five years old, you know, they win all the time. They're always winning and right. they're always winning in elementary school and, and high school. And then overnight they join the NBA and they're not winning anymore. Now right. they're like the worst player in the league. Right. And how it was really hard for a lot of this young kids to really make that transition because mm -hmm. they, all they knew, all they knew was how to win. They didn't know how to lose. Oh, um, wow. So I find, I find that book to be really good. And then on, on the business side, um, a book I read recently that I really like is called actually raise the bar. Raise, uh, raise a, the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Raise the bar by Joe Taffer. He's, um, he has a reality TV show called like Bar Rescue, I think it is. Actually, I, n I, n I never seen the, the, the TV show. Right. But basically, he, he talks about, uh, it's all, the book is all about bars, but the, the, what, sort of the, the meta learning there is that he's talking about customer experiences, mm -hmm. and what, what it takes to really deliver a great customer experience and a, and a really good experience for any service or business. And then he talks about that for them, when they go in and help bars, 
it's really like all the fundamentals and all the systems, right? Like how you, you know, do you have someone who goes and asks how your food is five minutes after you receive it or how do you greet people or what do you do after this? Um, so there's a lot of things in there about how they build customer loyalty that I found are really applicable to any business. Oh, that's so interesting. That's really cool. Fantastic. Well, Ruben, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure, and I want to thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. Um, yeah, plug time. Where can people find you? Uh, what do you want people to know about um, about you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, your website, obviously. Uh, I am on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, uh, you got to Ruben, mm-hmm. um, and my website would just be practicalanalytics.com. Uh, so I think if you check it out. You know, we're I think right now we, we have a lot of content coming up that's that's interesting that's, that'll be useful and relevant. So you can check that out, read it. We have a few things you can subscribe to if, if that's uh, relevant to you. If you, you know if you're a software company, uh, but I would just love to hear any thoughts on content and feedback and any ideas on things that you would love to answer. Fantastic. All right, Ruben. Well, thanks so much for uh, for coming on again. I really appreciate you coming on. Perfect. Thanks, Mia. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Take care. <laughs>